smart. Enabling organisations and individuals to be disability inclusive and accessible. Hello everyone and welcome to today's podcast episode. I'm Jodie Greer, I'm your host and I'm the founder of Be People Smart. Once again, going to be busting a myth and before I tell you what that is, I want to introduce my wonderful guest speaker for today, Rebecca Keane. I couldn't do as good a job at introducing Rebecca as she can herself. So, Rebecca, can you tell us a bit about yourself, please? Thanks very much, Jodie. I appreciate the uh, the lovely intro. Um, I'm Rebecca Keane uh, from Keane People. We specialise in providing uh, te- tech staff to... Uh, number of organizations um and we are a very human-centric business making sure that our people are, are always put first um and yeah just doing what we really love connecting people and companies love it so first of all we've both got people in our business names and we're both <laughs> aimed at human centricity it's kindred spirits absolutely it's all about the people wonderful thank you so much and thank you for obviously joining us today our myth that Rebecca and I are going to be busting along with whatever other ones we come up with in the conversation is that I don't have unconscious bias. And that I is the royal I, um, because that (laughs) is aimed at each and every one of us and you. So let's talk about unconscious bias. And I'm particularly interested in this. And I'm glad this is something you wanted to talk about, Rebecca, because I see real mixed press about this. I personally really like unconscious bias learning. I think it's really important, but I actually do see negativity out there about it. And I wonder if it's misconstrued. I guess my first point, which I'd obviously like to hear from you more about, is about the fact that we genuinely do all have this unconscious bias. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, uh, and it goes it goes for, for everybody in this world. Um, we do dip into unconscious bias purely because we want to shortcut what we're what we're thinking. Um, so just to put it into context, what we mean by unconscious bias is the decisions and the, the thinking that we do based on previous experiences, which may um, influence your your decision making. So um, I've got an example. Um, so for and I'm going to use recruitment because I'm in recruitment um interview panels so this is where you will see um uh quite a, a mixed bag of um some unconscious bias so l- let's for example say uh you're going into an interview and you happen to be a woman and all the panel are men and as soon as you're in there they see you're a woman and they've already made an assumption that you're not you're not going to be one of the boys team so they continue the interview not realizing that their assumptions in their head about who you are as an individual has absolutely nothing to do based on your skill your gender your ethnicity um anything else that goes along with all of that And they make a decision that they don't want to hire you because they want to hire the the man who comes in straight after. And that's the unconscious bias. They don't know why they're doing it. They don't probably realize why they are thinking that way. Um, But we all do it. Uh, And it's only a very rare few people. And it's those that really take the time to understand how they make decisions and how they come to conclusions are that they're the ones that um, can actually change that dynamic but until that point it's all unconscious and nobody even realizes they're doing it so that's another reason i'm really pleased to have this conversation with you because anyone who yeah. me knows that one of my passion areas if you like is about inclusive recruitment 
And you talk about yeah. unconscious bias in an interview setting, and there's a perfect example when somebody has a visible disability, for instance. So before they've uh-huh. decided whether to share, if it's shared for them, then there's often this unconscious assumption or actually I question whether Mm -hmm. it's unconscious we can come to that but there's this sort of assumption about you know how many times this individual is going to be going to hospital appointments how much time they're going to take off sick and actually statistics show us it's quite the opposite but um that is what goes through people's minds because they're not reality they're not educated to understand the truth behind disabled employees and the value they bring so that's massive for me and for this space yeah it's huge I think just you've picked on disability being probably one of the the biggest criteria for unconscious bias and I think that goes across not just within recruitment I think that's just in society um but I I'm and with your business for example you're really promoting the inclusivity so it's making us aware of our unconscious bias when when we are uh, talking to people or perhaps interviewing for example this unconscious bias goes way beyond disability as well so um as humans um we are trying to sort of shortcut our way to making quick decisions our brains are not capable of holding so much information and recalling it um sort of in in an instant. So we make shortcuts. Um, with my psychology background, I did a master's in psychology. That's how much I love this kind of stuff. Um, we basically, as humans, we have to we have to shortcut our thinking and we have to sort of condense what we do. Um, and you'll have heard the term stereotyping. So this is probably the easiest way to um, associate what unconscious bias is, is because we've created stereotypes. So, for example, people with disabilities probably going to have some time off work, probably not going to work as hard as somebody else. Females, for example, they wouldn't even know how to change a light bulb or change a tire. So why would I want to hire, you know, all these stereotypes and a lot of them have been built over the years. Um, this is what's uh, this is what's in our mindset when we're actually evaluating whether we want to work with someone or associate with someone um, when we're making those assumptions. The unconscious bias goes even further. So, for example, and I'm going to use CVs because I'm a recruiter, even CVs. And I can give you a number of experiences um, that I've had. um, And it's completely unconscious. If I have a, a formatted CV in front of me, so I can't even see the person. I'm not judging them based on what they look like or how they sound, how they speak, their accent. I'm judging them basically on a piece of paper. Um, And I can go through the CV and go, no, that's not good enough. Haven't even met the person, haven't spoken to the person because there may be a spelling mistake or there may be the formatting isn't quite how I would like a formatting. So as recruiters, we all have to be super, super careful and aware that we are not basing our assumptions. I like things to be grammatically correct. Um, And I don't want to dismiss somebody that's perhaps got a spelling mistake wrong because, um, you know, that might genuinely be uh, be an error on, on the computer's part or whatever it is. And then I've written off somebody who could have been an absolute superb candidate. So even as far as the subconscious bias and the unconscious bias, sorry, um, infiltrating some of the things that we do, it doesn't have to be the individual person. It can be it can be a CV. It can be a car. Um, You've seen those cars on the side of the road broken down. So I'm not going to buy one of those cars because. Not all car, not all of them have broken down because of that reason, you know. Um, so, so yes, it 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 goes across not just the people, but in other things and all walks of life. 
I think that's absolutely spot on because our bias, and yes, we do all have bias, and our bias is associative. It, it It's yeah. formed from our experiences, you know, what we see, what we yeah. feel, all of that stuff. So this comes back to one of the points I mentioned a bit earlier. How unconscious is it really? And the reason I say this is yeah. if we're really honest with ourselves, most of our unconscious bias isn't so unconscious, but we may not want to voice it out loud. So if yeah. I was a man, it's probably difficult for me to put myself in that position because I'm not. But if I was a man <laughs> and I was interviewing a woman yeah. and yes. my instinct said she's probably going to want to have family, she's young, so that means at least a couple of you know stints of maternity leave. Even yes. though I'm thinking this and I know I'm thinking this, I might not ever admit to anyone I'm thinking this because I know for all the things I've read and things that HR have told me and all that sort of stuff, uh-huh that that's a negative thought and I shouldn't really be thinking that. It's still going to cloud my judgment of the person, but I don't want to say it. So from your professional, but certainly from your actual psychology background, how unconscious is it really? Um, I love that you've you've tapped in on that. Um, So I think what, what you're, um, what you're touching on is um, our learned, our learned behavior and our learned decision-making. So things that we've learned usually through our parents or our peers or our teachers at school. And yes, quite a lot of the things which are really awkward, we are told not to voice or we can't voice because we'll get in trouble. And the more we're becoming, um, you know, standing up for ourselves and saying, well, hey, no, women should be in the boardroom. And, you know, don't don't assume that we're going to go off and have babies and things like that. Um, You know, the more the more we voice that, the more sort of conscious that bias becomes and you consciously try not to do the bias. But the unconscious part is when you still make that decision anyway, because but you don't really know why you have. Um, and I think it, it sort of touches on the point that um, decision making is always going to be hard, right? It, it does, it, you, you don't want to get it wrong. You want to get it right first time. You want to make sure it's fair. You want to make sure it's equal. And the majority of people do want that. They want to. But because it's so past that they've learned this this bias and how to formulate that bias, it's very, very difficult to unpick where they got it from in the first place and why. And I'm just going to use sort of another example as well, is that if the boardroom is all made up, and, and this is probably the best example um, in, in relation to what I do, but if the board meet, uh, the boardroom is all made up of, of males, one female going in will shake up that dynamic. And actually, you know, what can they, and it's like the locker room, the boys locker room chat. And I, and I argue that the ladies have the same, but we just talk about slightly different things in a different way. Um, but yes, it, it does change the dynamic. And so their bias wouldn't be, you know, oh, we can't hire her because she is, um, uh, you know, she could be going off to have babies. It could be just the fact of, well, she's not going to fit in here because we like to talk about women in a certain way or that kind of thing. But that wouldn't be a thought process for them. It's just a natural instinct, a natural behavior, sort of. Yeah, no, it does make sense. And just obviously, I'll happily be very open and honest. I'm certainly not exempt from bias, be that unconscious or more That's conscious. Um, yeah. And I'll give you an example. And I do make a very conscious effort to manage my bias. Uh, but you know, yeah. who know it, it will still creep in, I'm sure, time to time. But I'll give you an example. In the past, when I have been recruiting, so um there may be people listening now thinking, what? Um, but I used to feel that when someone came along and their accent was very 
um, what I can only describe them as street in inverted commas. Yes. That they were inappropriate for a corporate environment. Now that's ironic coming from me. (laughs) 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 You know, my East London accent. And I honestly think that started from when I was very first at work, and I'm going back to when I'd literally left school, I was told by more than one person I was going to go really far in life, but I'd go get there further and quicker um, if I changed the way I spoke. And I was actually really put out and I said, you wouldn't say the same if I came from Liverpool with a, you know, a Scouse accent, you would just accept that that's my local dialect. So that's very offensive that you expect me to speak like the Queen. Um, But I think that did kind of form my own bias for what was appropriate in a corporate setting. And I mean, I'm out of that, (laughs) thankfully. And I've met some, you know, very competent, lovely people who do, speak with that kind of accent um it's just you know where they were formed it's where they come from it's just part of their identity and who they are but that was definitely part of mine and I think I never actually acted on it per se but it was definitely in my mind and that was one of the bias I really had to manage for myself but it's also hard because if you then and I'm thinking from a recruitment perspective if you do appoint that person And there's a lot of bias in the corporate world around accents and Mm. so on. And other people come across this same person. You know, well, you often know because you know the people around you, that there's going to be that judgment, not just on them as the new team member, Mm. but the judgment on you as the, you know, what are you doing? (laughs) Who's this person you've recruited? So you feel like you've got to manage the bias, not just of yourself, but of this whole group of people around you. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, just touching on your point about your bias, and um, and I appreciate you being really honest because it's really difficult to admit when actually you're making decisions that you don't really like about yourself, but you don't really know why you're doing it. What you what you actually did in that scenario is you became conscious of your unconscious bias. You became aware that hang on a minute, why am I making decisions on an accent? Oh, because it happened to me. So you've worked backwards to actually observe what you've done in that moment and why you've made that decision or why you've come to that conclusion based on your own experience. Now, the unconscious part is for those people that don't even realise it's associated to um, a a past experience, for example. So, um, you know, just to use um, perhaps you you were in a dark street and you've been mugged and um, and the attacker looked a certain way, you then associate those people as your attacker. And actually it was one person in one moment, if that makes sense. And um, so um, that, that association, that small association is, it's due and it's warranted for that moment, but not everybody that looks like that is going to be like that. And only when you unpick it and go, ah, oh, I know why I don't like people that look that that way or, you know, carry that kind of bag or wear that kind of coat, because that's the one that, you know, as a protective mechanism, that's the one that attacked me. And then and then you sort of spin it around. And then when you realize and I'm um, is it um, I think it was like Hanlon's razor or something like that. And you realize that um we do this all the time. We associate these things with certain 
certain aspects of life or experiences just based on one experience. There could be a number of other reasons why, um, you know, why someone had an accent, for example, they may have moved there or, you know, speech impediments, things like that. So it's always being really aware that this happens. We all do it. It's okay, And it's okay to put your hand up and say, I have this bias. But it's unpicking what it is, what that experience was that made you jump to that that conclusion or that assumption about uh, what's going to go on. So, um, yeah, it's a really good, interesting uh, analogy, because I bet there's hundreds of more things that both of I, both you and I have that when you unpick it, you realize, wow, I just literally shortcut that. And we do in recruitment. Recruitment, we have to shortcut a lot. And, and we make those biases. Um, but when you unpick it, then you, you can sort of spread spread out a little bit and spread your thinking a little wider. But it just takes a little bit longer. This is why this subject genuinely is so interesting to me. And I, I hope know. our listeners are enjoying I love it. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I mentioned about you also feeling like you need to then manage other people's bias. And I think yes. there's also yeah. a part in that about having courage. Because... You've got to yep. have courage in your own convictions. So when you've unpicked yes. it, as you say, and so, yep. I mean, again, looking just from a recruitment scenario, so just to sort of simplify it for now, but you've mm-hmm. unpicked it, you've offered someone the role, they've come in, and more often than not, let's be honest, you'll find that you have given the job to the right candidate. You know, they're coming in, they're proving themselves yep. to be successful. You need to have the courage that if anyone does do a kind of second take moment of really that's the person you selected yes Yes. I did and I stand by that you know they're very competent they're a great candidate they're going to be a great team member I absolutely have faith I think you've got to be able to own that and not be so concerned about other people's bias because they need to manage their own you are absolutely spot on and um, you know when uh, interviews viewing panels for example are all making decisions it's very difficult to get an agreement across a panel for different real reasons because do you know what they've all got separate unconscious bias so you're not just dealing with one person you're dealing with a whole team on an interview panel and you have to and you mentioned uh, managing other people's bias it's almost nigh on impossible to do that because what you're asking them to do is then go back into their history to find out why they've made that decision and when you're when you're thinking about sort of managing bias, the only bias you can really manage is, is your own. But if you're aware of it yourself and you've taken ownership of where your biases are, it's only then you can point out and see it in what other people are doing. And you can make the point and you can say, hey, hang on a minute, you've dismissed that person. For what reason? You know, what, what what's the situation? And get them to think about their bias you can't tell them, you can't say someone, well, you know, you need to change this or you need to change that because people are people and they will they will work in the way that they see fit. But if you can come up with reasons why they might like to think about the decision, um, it's a softer approach. You're not going to get resistance from the other person. You're certainly not going to manage their bias, but you'll get them, get the cogs turning to go, actually, why did I assume that? And oh, that's a really good point. Thanks. You know, um, the one thing we don't want to do is tell other people how to behave and how to think. There's nothing worse than that. But, you know, helping people to see that they may have had bias in a decision. Um, yeah, it's a softly, softly treading approach. But you definitely if you can if you can see it in yourself and the biases, you can definitely, you know, point out and show people like, hey, why did you make that decision? So, yeah, but it's a difficult one to do. <laughs> yeah, I can I especially if it's 
leadership if, if it's somebody more senior so if we're thinking about a more junior member of the team wanting to point out a senior members uh, a senior member of the team their bias to to certain things yeah that can be a, a really difficult conversation but you know if if you understand your own bias that there are ways to point it out I absolutely resonate with that and I think that's also where to manage this bias and enable sort of fair, inclusive and equitable experience. That's yeah. where company policy can also play a massive part because for instance, coming back yeah. to recruitment again, um, if you've got diverse recruitment panels, you have yes. a far better um, chance of not having, you know, this, <laughs> this group of yes. white middle-aged men in gray suits, always making yeah. the same decision. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I do see the world changing. The world is changing. And I'm such a positive optimist, mostly, um, and that I, you know, I just think, you know, give it a bit more time. But there are enough voices out there now starting to make a noise to, you know, to ideally reduce this unconscious bias. So, for example, things that we do in Keen, in Keen People Recruitment is, you know, CVs don't go out with names on, you know, and and if there's any he, she, you know, or those gender pronouns, we take them out. So they don't know. They don't know if it's male or female. If somebody has a mental health disability, we don't we don't voice that. Even though they've put it in their CV, we take it out. It's not, you know, these things should not be important. People should be, you know, it's particularly when they're looking for a new role, they should be judged on, you know, their skills, what they bring to the table, the experience that they've got. So, um, and I think... Recruitment agencies on the whole are, are quite good at trying to reduce the bias. There are some that, you know, nev never will. But um, on the whole, as recruitment agencies, we definitely need to be reducing that unconscious bias, even in the things that we do for our clients. So that sort of helps helps that process and, and reduces that. So when they do go to the client site and they do go to interview, we've already we've already got rid of all of that. They're making a decision based on a CV, unfortunately, <laughs> which is just a coat, which is just a coat of a person. You know, it's just something that they put on. It's not the actual person. Yeah. I mean, I've voiced my opinion many, many times on the fact that, you know, this really? old fashioned way of us recruiting oh. and it still happens pretty much across the board is kind of cringe. It is. It's never evolved since about 1950. Um Yes, it amazes me. But I do want to touch on that, actually. And it all does link yeah. back to the bias part. I often get contacted by disabled people asking me yeah. um, if they should share within their CV. Because, for instance, say somebody's yes. got a visible disability and it may well be that yes. the first or only interviews are online and it may not be visible yes. online. And they want to be open. They don't want to have this, you know, first day yeah. of the office oh uh hi so I get that yes. and that's a personal choice and similarly yes. with you know mental health or other health conditions sometimes yep. people want to be upfront about that so it's interesting you yes. always take that out because I always say to people yeah. it's a very personal choice yes it could it is. absolutely impact bias and yes. basically remove your um option of having an interview the re that's yes. the reality but on the flip side if that kind of organization and that line manager is seen so negatively there's also the yes. question of whether you'd want to work there right so no, absolutely 100%. i'm interested in the fact that keen people always always take it out even if the individuals put it in yes 
No, not always. We will always have the discussion about how we best, um, uh, how we best, I was about to say the word advertise, but it's not. It's how we show off the candidate skills, the best, the best way to show the client. Ultimately, as recruiters, our job is to talk to the clients about the individuals, not just send CVs. CVs, like I said earlier, is a coat, right? And if anyone is making judgments on a CV, whether to hire someone, then they're, they're going to be hiring some unusual bunches, if that makes sense, some unusual different people, because the CV, like I said, is it's just uh, an outer shell of the, the actual person. And we are very human centric. So as a recruiter, particularly in our business, is that we we talk about the candidates in a certain way. So it doesn't it doesn't really matter what's on your CV. If you want to be open and, and write it down, then absolutely, then you must you must do that. And um and if the client doesn't well the end client doesn't like the cv for whatever reason or their bias kicks in again would you want to work there absolutely not in terms of physical disabilities if there is a physical disability about getting into the office and they're looking for someone to get into the office then you kind of have to say that i've got a physical disability that's not going to be achievable but if it's remote working should it really matter whether you have a disability or not because you're remote working? Um, so those kind of things. But always, well, as recruiters as well, we we should always be talking about the, the, the candidates, not just pinging CVs to people saying, hey, look at this. Hey, look at that. There has to be a holistic approach to um, introducing the, the candidates. Now, if I'm working with somebody who does have challenging mental health or uh, disabilities, that becomes part of a conversation. It's not highlighted. I don't think it should be highlighted on a CV, um, whether whether you've got you know mental health problems or you've suffered from that in the past. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to suffer it again. So there's that bias that kicks in if someone's putting their disabilities. Now, there's an argument to say if you're if you're proud and you stand by what it is, then absolutely that's who you are. So you must you must do it. And if the recruiter was saying, no, 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 take it off. My client won't like it. Then you don't want to work there. You definitely don't want to work there. But um, if if you want a really good chance and you want to be equal to everybody else, then just show off your skills, show off what you've done. It doesn't matter if your name's John or if it's Jane. It doesn't matter if you are fully abled or disabled. It doesn't matter if you can voice your opinion or not voice your opinion. Yeah, this, the, the piece of paper is like I said, it is your coat. <laughs> it's just something that you put on over the top of actually who you are and what you want to do is have that first conversation yeah I I think that's absolutely right and I like that but I think yeah. that's a bit of the difference when people are applying directly the sad yeah. thing is they've only got that coat they've only got yes. that CV and I mean to, me, to be honest when I'm reading CVs they're not very real most of them because everybody no. wants to shine and we you know, you read all these uh -huh. terms like I'm exceptional at. And whenever yes, so yeah. I actually do some CV coaching and I've I've helped people create their CVs. Um, it's kind of a bit of a side hustle just to help people get successful. You want to be a recruiter, really, don't you? I honestly <laughs> do not. <laughs> Are you sure? Yes. But um, I always, things like that, you know, I'm exceptional at. I tell them, take that out. How yes. do you even quantify that? Yes. What does that actually mean? Yes. Like, and exceptional to who? <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. So it's just no, so you're right. Again, 
Yeah, but also, um, and I'm a little bit cynical and I'm almost sure all the recruiters literally will be rolling their eyes when, if they're listening and I'm saying this, is that, um, you know, CVs sometimes can be made up. And I like to remind my clients that, honestly, when someone gets an opportunity to talk about themselves, they may inflate or deflate. But what they're trying to do is give you their best selves. Um, and it isn't necessarily, you know, what what they're, they're actually capable of or actually the area that they're doing. Also, desperation plays into to this as well. Is when people are so desperate looking for a job, they'll almost say anything on their CV because they just want a job. And... Um, Yes, I'm almost sure if they're going directly to the clients, then they will obviously meet the clients. But with recruiters, that's part of our role. You know, we speak to them and find out, you know, exactly what's going on on the CV, whether or not, you know, they can back up, particularly with technical roles, because there's going to be a technical test. You do not want to inflate your CV. I'm exceptional at writing this code. And then you've never or you've done a YouTube clip and, you, and you've never actually written it. So. Yeah, it's CVs are a really interesting way of displaying, I guess, your skill set. But, you know, there's so many CV writing out there that will inflate certain things or you downplay things. Other people down, downplay things as well. So, um, yeah, it's important to get your CV right, but it's not the be all and end all. What is is the person behind the CV? Um, so don't just send your CV. And I'd highly recommend you always ring ring the client. If you're doing it yourself, make sure you ring where the CV's gone. Go and have a chat. Speak to the HR. You know, when are you interviewing? You know, this looks like a great opportunity and really make the effort. Um, so don't just willy nilly send CVs. Definitely keep a, a record and connect with people on LinkedIn. Connect with them and make sure you get talking to them. Something I also yeah. wanted to touch on because another thing that I really dislike and I just don't feel it has a place in recruitment and the workplace, personality tests. Oh wow, yeah. Don't get me started. Um <laughs> yeah. So I did say kindred the, spirits, right? <laughs> we are such kindred spirits. So I um obviously as part of my studies at university we we looked into personality tests and um and when you when you do a university course of any description you're kind of told that you have to critically evaluate some of these things now there are so many different personality tests out there you can go to the, you remember when it was on the magazines back in the old days and you could go and take your personality test in like a, a girl's magazine and oh my goodness I'm this well they're so much more effective now and they've there's so much more research that have gone into them that now that they are part of sometimes the interview process or part of um you know the companies and they have to have a certain personality type um God, I don't, I'm not going to swear, but I call BS. I call absolute <laughs> BS. Um, ha, trying to fit a human being, an individual, unique human being into one of those tests is, is never going to be 100%. Um, and so those people that are using those tests, so long as they realise that that person answering that test is, is not going to definitively tell you that that's their personality type because people are people and it's very difficult to put them into a box. So yes, the tests are good in the sense that it will give you a rough indication of the type of person that you are dealing with. But I tell you, people will shock you. They will do crazy things. And if you could predict behavior based on personality, I uh, would live in a very easy world. <laughs> And you can't, you really can't. So um, those tests should be used with caution. 
I also argue, and this was always one of my argues um, at uh, university, is it depends on the person answering the test. If you get somebody who wants that job, watch how they will manipulate that test to show that they're those kind of persons. So there are really good tests which try and uh, make sure that that, um, that is reduced by certain questioning, ask, asking different questions. If you understand how personality, personality tests work, you can manipulate it. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't take a genius, to be honest. So, yes, if you want an overriding idea of who a person is, then it gives you a, a nice little fluffy scenario of who they might be. It doesn't tell you how well they work, though. It doesn't tell you if they're going to be a good employee. It certainly doesn't tell you um, whether or not their skill sets on their CV match what the, the job is going to do and things like that. It's only when I think you meet somebody themselves and you can make a decision on that. So um, we don't use personality tests. Uh, some of our clients do, and we're happy to facilitate that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's a murky world when you're trying to make a decision on somebody based on a personality test, which definitely has a few few flaws yeah definitely and I just think as well that the unfortunately is often this bias about what type of personality will fit into a team dynamic and actually yeah, yeah. the whole point of diversity is to have yeah. all these differences so that you have the best innovation the best creativity absolutely <laughs> Yeah, I just but you're discounting because of the tests. I know. Exactly and it's because that. somebody just checked a box and you get four options to choose. And actually, you might be the fifth option that isn't even there. So what do you do? You're forced to choose one of those options and then you fall into a personality type. And it's like, well, I wouldn't have chosen that one anyway. There wasn't the option that I wanted. It's so, so difficult. And as we've spoken before, Jodie, about this as well, and I get so frustrated um you know sort of I, I do understand that there are, are are you know such a wide variety of mental health disorders but um one thing that really gets my co is uh, you know saying personality disorder it's a personality and um and I think these tests don't really help those with you know slight differences in personality it's meant for the norm these tests are meant for the norm so if you have a personality which is slightly different from that i think there's 16 in one test 16 different types of personalities and if your um personality is doesn't really fit any of those is that disordered absolutely not i wouldn't say it's disordered um and we we sort of band the word around psychologists band the word around and you know, you've got a personality. It may not just conform to the norm. It's just a personality. It's the only time I think anything becomes disordered is when it becomes a bit chaotic and life becomes chaotic. But I think that's the same for everyone, you know. And I get really passionate, as you can see, about, um, you know, labelling people. I cannot stand it. I just don't put a label on somebody. Let's just be inclusive and find a way to include rather than categorise. Yeah. So anyway, that's my soapbox. No, I completely agree with you and it all resonates. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> and in the workplace, also, irrespective of any yeah. personality, when you're going through times of change, when people's resilience is really yeah. tested, for any yes. individual, it completely depends on the specific scenario, what else is going on in their life, yes. in professional, personal, all of that stuff. So it's yeah. kind of irrelevant. Um, but yeah, all I would urge anybody recruiting to do is best yeah. person for the job and try and actually have a team dynamic that truly is diverse because that's where your business mm -hmm. is going to win 
Absolutely, absolutely. But it's it's educating. It's educating that team to be inclusive as well. Oh, yes, because otherwise, can you imagine being the extra person yeah. who comes into that room? Yeah. You know, you want, yeah, you, obviously you want to be embraced and all of that sort of thing. So the team need to understand absolutely. the value and actually what they're gaining out of that for themselves professionally as well. Yeah, particularly like cybersecurity area as well and, and the technical side of things. There's a lot of people that their personalities may not fit into those boxes. Um, but you know what? They are brilliant and they are exactly the resources and they may not have like a, a a personality type or they may not quite fit in there. But actually, they're the ones that are the the thought, the, the thinkers, good with maths, good with numbers. So, yeah. See, this happens a lot with neurodiverse individuals of neurodiverse, exactly. I should say, um, particularly yeah. autistic people, because, of course, yeah. Atypically, an awful lot of autistic people are very analytical, you know, highly intelligent stuff, but personality tests may not actually demonstrate the real them. No, it it doesn't at all. But anyway, we we should save that for another topic. (laughs) You'll have to come back. I've got so much research on on that on that topic. So yeah, it's a strong one for me. Yeah. So you heard it here first. Rebecca's coming back again. (laughs) (laughs) Um so I have to ask you my question that I ask all of my guests yes. because, well, I just get the best responses to it and I love it. And also I'm just a massive Harry Potter fan. So okay. if I gave you, Rebecca, your very own magic wand and it's magic, so there's no mm-hmm. limitations and okay. you can change one thing to make the world more inclusive, what would you change? Oh, to make it more inclusive. Do you know what? Um, and I, I'm almost sure probably say that people would be saying this also. Education. Do you know it starts right at day dot? And do you know there's a lovely clip um which is uh two young people running towards each other and sort of embracing one one is um black one is white they the cuddle then they turn around and i think they say something like this is my brother and and they don't see color they don't see difference he's got different hair and you know They've got no bias at that age. Absolutely not. And then as soon as they go to school, they start learning and they start absorbing and it's there. That's the critical time that we need to start educating because children don't see all of these differences. It's only as we get older. So my I think my thing is we need more at schools. We need more inclusive schools. You know, um, And I do I do respect that, you know, when um, young children have certain special needs um, that they are, they do have other schools, but it should be part of a school. There shouldn't be separate schools. It should be inclusive um, because while we're separating it, we are we're not teaching our children how to embrace and be inclusive we're actually teaching them that oh they go to that school because of that and they go to so yeah I'm all about education and it needs to start a lot a lot younger in terms of inclusivity for sure um that we definitely need more in primary schools and we need schools to work together um I think anyway start with the children so this is why I love this question so you might be surprised to know that that is not a common answer at all Um, oh I have. To, I do know the clip you're talking about because I think they actually say they're yes. twins. And they're, that was it, the twin. Yeah, yeah. And it was. And really they're, not, they're completely different. <laughs> yeah, oh, they look completely different. Not just... just because of their skin color, they look completely different. 
completely different. They do say that it is the most amazing thing to see. And that is just a pure example that they do not see difference, right? They do not see that at that age. So what age does it change and how do we need to do that? But as um, a society, we're quite good at, um, you know, looking at things our education system, you know, it's great, you know, compared to what it was like years and years ago, um, but it still needs improving. And the way we're segregating, we segregate certain things as well. That's another area that we we need to start being more inclusive and looking at that inclusivity and building on that child, those children's raw emotion where they don't see it. They don't see difference. Um, And yeah, that's, that's definitely for me that would just be amazing and it wouldn't happen overnight but the, the children growing up would therefore pass that on with their children and it'd be part of our educational knowledge and I'm absolutely passionate about getting inclusion into um, mainstream education yeah. and particularly and I would say this but particularly making sure that disability inclusion and accessibility yeah. is part of that And I've named and shamed them a few times already, but I'm going to do it again. The Department for Education here in the UK are completely disinterested in this and will not get involved. And so it is a case of going school by school. So if anybody wants to get involved and to help make this happen, please do reach out to me because I am absolutely passionate. The workplace is too late for this education to start. Absolutely. It has to start younger. And I would more than happy you know, be part of a group to make this happen because be people smart is only small. And the reality is we can't reach every school in the country. Um, no. We, yeah, it, it, it does. It takes a village, as they say. So please do. Does. <laughs> but do you know what? Um, you know, now, now we're sort of touching on it. We can definitely, after the podcast, let's go and uh, have a cup of tea and uh, digest what we've spoken about. But we can start working towards a plan to, you know, so people have somewhere to go and uh, get behind us. So, yeah, let's work on that. Wonderful. It's always good fun. Thank Challenging you. the system. I love it. <laughs> So you've shared so much already on this episode, but what would you really like people to take away today? So um, probably the the take home message is um, not uh, it's not going to happen every time. But, you know, when you've got a decision to make, truly think about why you're making that decision and what the reasons are for. Also, dig deep into how you may have formed that decision. So, you know, if you are buying a car was it something that somebody said and I use car as an analogy I would definitely just take some time looking at some of the decisions and some of the biases that you you may or may not have where they come from and and try and unpick those um and yeah I guess that would probably be my main thing is just maybe just choose one and unpick and um my email and my phone is is always free for people so even if you're stuck thinking like my gosh you know what 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 biases do I have um I am more than happy to point some out (laughs) because everyone's got them and um sometimes you can't see them and that's part of the unconscious bit but yeah definitely have a have a look at those those biases like how you'd always choose a certain dessert for example (laughs) and that so on that point, um, how can people find you to follow you to get in contact? Yes. Where are you? 
So I'm, I mainly hang out on LinkedIn. I think like everybody else in recruitment, we, we hang out there quite a lot. So I'm, I'm quite easy to, uh, to chat to on LinkedIn, either connecting or messaging. Uh, we have a company page, which I'm still building at the moment because I'm not the most social, um, social media guru expert yet. Um, and of course, my contact details are on our website as well. So if you did want any help, i.e., looking at bias, particularly in the workplace. So for clients or for candidates, how do I reduce the uh, the bias or, you know, how it would be seen to somebody else? So CVs, um, obviously you can help with CVs there too as well. So um, yeah, if anyone just re- reach out, I'm, I'm very friendly and approachable, mostly. <laughs> Always like after that. lunch. <laughs> yeah. Go to Rebecca in the afternoon. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think one thing I was really keen to also touch on today, because I've had this brought to me before, is there is a difference between considering yourself a good judge of character and having unconscious bias. Yeah. I just wanted to capture that before we close out, because I think gut instinct, I don't want to take that away, because that can actually be, you know, somebody's safety mechanism. Yeah, but there is a difference. So can I just get your final take on that, please? Yes. Oh, that is such a good one. Do you know what? That's a whole other podcast as well, <laughs> I'll tell you. Um, so, yeah. So gut instinct is um, a feeling that you get um, when something isn't quite right or something is very right. But usually it's when something's not right and then you need to make a reaction or you need to do something. So that would be your gut instinct. So perhaps, for example, um, uh, you meet somebody and you just get a sense of I'm not sure about this. What's usually happening in your brain is it's it's going through all these different experiences that you've had before um, and, and trying to formulate what, why you're, or you need to feel like this to, to get out. Um, this can be based. Well, it's all based on unconscious biases that you've already got programmed um so yes in terms of the um uh the gut instinct it's it's definitely right to have those are they always right there is absolutely no research to say that they are it is a feeling it is not a thought so the feeling that you get and then you react is usually completely unconscious and impulsive anyway Whereas the unconscious bias, you have an opportunity to change that. You have that opportunity. That feeling will will never change. Um, but the the unconscious bias, that thought process definitely can. So, again, sort of harping back to just think about some of the biases that you've got. You know, sometimes you've, you, you've just you default to a certain way of thinking or, you know, because it's quicker, you know, oh, I won't speak to that person because of their accent or I can see that they're from that place. So I don't really like people from that place. So I don't really talk to them. Those are the things that you can change. But that uneasy feeling, you you can't change that. And arguably you don't want to change that because that's kind of what keeps you alive. (laughs) That's kind of our mechanism to, to keep us going in this world. When we sense danger, we have the feeling to react. So, yes, but really, really good. Two very separate things, but work very closely together. I've got to say, I love closing out on that. <laughs> Such a powerful point. What I do want to say, though, Rebecca, is thank you so much yeah. for your time today. But everything you've shared, um, I mean, we've spoken, obviously, a couple of times, but I still just really enjoy yeah. learning from you and chatting with you. So a big thank you from me. And likewise, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure talking. 
And I am absolutely confident that you've all enjoyed listening to Rebecca today. And I hope what we've shared has been really helpful. As Rebecca said, please do reach out on LinkedIn. If you've not contacted me on LinkedIn or we're not connected, please feel free to follow me or also connect. And until next time, please look after yourself. Take care. And we'll be back with more myth busting. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. We really hope you enjoyed it. Please rate us and leave us a review. We really want to know what you think. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the amazing guest speakers we have lined up.